I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Eric Chapman joins me now. He's uh, recently launched a podcast, Eric's Living Room. He's a longtime broadcaster and journalist in Vancouver who many will remember uh, for his work on uh, CKNW, among other places. Mr. Chapman spent a number of years at radio stations as a board operator, then on-air personality as well as a producer. Uh, with uh, a number of years at Chorus Stations here. I'll ask him about his new podcast, uh, his new venture, and why it's important to talk about the important things that he and Amir Ali talk about. Uh, Mental health, money, living in Vancouver, race, relationships, family, marriage, and more. I'll ask uh, Eric uh, how this uh, creative collaboration came about and get him to uh, tell us about future episodes. Eric Chapman can be found on Twitter. His handle is at uh, Chapape. 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 Yeah. And uh, please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Eric Chapman. Mr. Chapman, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it's, it, it's my ex-girlfriend's pet name for me was Chapape, because my last name is Chapman. Yeah. Chapman. Yeah. And, yeah, I have many nicknames, and I have one tattooed on me, actually. And, yeah, her nickname for me was Chapappe, and I just thought it was adorable. And then, so, yeah, that's my handle on everywhere, Instagram, Twitter. See, I've, I've seen that, obviously, for years, having followed you online. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was, um, um, I just forgot what I thought it was, because um, now I'm thinking of the way it's actually pronounced. Um, right. Like Chappie. Okay. That's how I thought it was. And oh, then, like Chapappe or something. Yeah. Chap- yes, Chappie. yes, yes. Or, you know. Well, that's... It's a play on that of sorts, now I guess. Now I'm, I'm looking at it, and that's why I stumbled on it, because there's too many P's there. <laughs> I had to get used to putting that extra P at the end in, too. Trust me. Yeah, 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 it's a thing. <laughs> so, so I listened to you and Amir, yeah. and uh, as I was telling you just before we started, how enjoyable it sounds, the, the two of you together. Because, it, because you guys are friends, obviously. You're yes. former colleagues. Yes. Colleagues again, I suppose. Uh, was it at NW that you, you first met? No, funnily enough, Amir and I went to school together briefly. So I went to school, as we discussed before, there's two radio schools in Vancouver. There's going to be BCIT or Columbia Academy for a time. That's where everybody yeah. went. And I went to Columbia Academy. And the way they, ro- they rotate new classes in every three months. So you get experience with other students as you run a radio station and learn the techniques. Mm. And Amir was a class ahead of me. But Amir's brother was in my class, and so I knew I knew Arif or Arif. I can't remember how to pronounce it properly. Excuse me. But um, b- before I met Amir in school, and then when we transitioned to the senior part of the course, I met Amir, and I found out they were brothers, and that's how I knew of him. So back in '09, we would have met for the first time. Then didn't hear a thing from him. Forgot he existed. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back to NW in 2018. Um, there he was as a board op. And I was like, hey, didn't I go? I know your brother. And then we reconnected then in yeah. 2018. And, yeah, we became fast friends. Let's be real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we really connected. Because it, it sounds like that. Because uh, having listened to the radio over the years, you, you can't fake chemistry. Right. And you obviously, the two of you, have that. And you had that when you were on with Linda um, mm-hmm. on NW. That talk that you would do at the start of the show mm-hmm. or throughout the show even. Um that's what I enjoy about radio. You know, I mean, that's I, that's what radio is to me, Joe. Like I even tweeted it out the other day. I would rather hear an honest, personal conversation about absolutely nothing than someone's written joke or prepared yeah. bit. 
I, that's that's the connection for me. That's where those relationships start to happen, and you 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 really feel the magic and the 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Like the in the now yeah. of radio, yeah, they, urgency or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They, I I used to listen to Frosty. I mean, I grew up listening to CKNW, so this this to me, you know, this has always been the station that 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 I turn to, you know, any time of the day. And and Frosty used to talk about the receptionist there at the twentieth floor, um, like whose name I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. And um, he'd make a little remark, and then. Joy Metcalf or someone else would react to that, or, or Norm Groman would laugh at that. And to me, that felt like I was in on something that I didn't necessarily know about, but it made it interesting for me. Mm-hmm. One time I, I found myself up there because I had to drop something off for Rafe, and um, she was there, <laughs> and... You know, I, I started not laughing, but you know, I, I just, and, but I didn't say anything to her, obviously, because you know, right? You can't, <laughs> but you know, right? Yeah, I know that, that connection. Yeah, for I, I when Frosty, uh, I heard an interview with Frosty probably about five or six years ago. I don't know. It might even. Have been, I don't know. Was it this podcast? I don't know where it was. I don't know if you have you talked to Frosty. I, he's been on before. It yeah. might have been here then. But he talked about how he looked at radio. And he was very angry at the like the way people do it now, which, yeah. and I agree with him. Is that radio? You're a performer. You're giving. If you're not giving yourself and giving that performance, then you're not doing it right. And he just went into this fantastic description that really stands true to what I believe radio is too. Of just it's this connection that's made through authentic conversations. Throw your script away. Have your questions, and just take that step. And I think even taking that step. People are like intrigued by that. Like, yeah. oh, I wish I could do that because, as yeah. you know, speak public speaking, ninety nine percent of the world can't do it yeah. because it's so embarrassing to people. So, yeah, that connection that's made—it's just—it's so beautiful, and I miss it every day. I love yeah. it so much. Yeah. And and you're a Stern fan. I, I unfortunately learned just before we started. <laughs> Whatever, and, I'm a yeah, I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm an I'm a fan, and both of them yeah knew how to uh, do that on the air. They would talk about what else was happening at the radio station or start a feud mm-hmm. between two other people at the radio station mm-hmm. to great comic effect. Mm-hmm. And as a listener, because you did find yourself listening to the station, not just on their programs, but throughout the day, you knew who these people were. Mm-hmm. And um, these people became characters. And there was a, remember that one radio station here that had the janitor on as the, in the ads. Yes. Um, so, I mean, you know, th- th- that tells me that obviously radio has a power that's beyond you know, yeah. the people that are just there, you yes, know, on absolutely. the air. Yeah. Yeah. And so you cultivate this sort of, this, <laughs> the station becomes a character themselves. And, yeah, it's yeah. a whole thing. It's like New York City, you know, there's, it's a whole, it's a world that you just get that peek into and it's nice to visit. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's called Eric's Living Room. Yeah, because so that's it, where it's, that's where it is. That's ah, where we do it, in my living room. Well, it's convenient, isn't it? Yes. Um. What is it? I mean, I've seen the the, the uh, video on YouTube. It, it's a very um, how do how should I, it's, it's it's less cluttered than this place, mm. um, and <laughs> it seems like it's carefully curated, if you will, with the with the, the albums and the equipment around. It is, yeah. yeah. I to be honest, Joe, this is the first time I've ever had my own home. Um, I, I grew up, I moved around a lot as a kid, and we had, you know we had our house, but it was always changing. And then I've, you know, had a fiancé and partners, and I've always lived with partners. And as you know, if you're with someone, quite often it's them that do all the designing. And so this is the first home I've been able to have where I've been able to 
pick out all my stuff and get everything that I want specifically. So yeah, I'm glad you noticed that because it's taken a lot. Of, it's taken about four years, and all those items are all, most of them mean something. Yeah. They, if you see something there, there's probably a meaning to it, and yeah, there's a the whole thing. Yeah, I was looking at the the album covers. Okay. Um, yeah. Some stuff I don't listen to, but I mean, I recognize the the album covers because yeah. they're iconic or famous. Yeah. Um, and it just adds so much to. I mean, you know that it's a special place. Yeah, well, thanks. I'm glad you know us. That's what I'm trying to, that's what I want to create. Because, you know, as you know, everybody's, you know, got a podcast. <laughs> and I'm trying to find ways to really bring things. And funny, funnily enough, that makes me really happy you said that, Joe. Because when we, Amir, we developed it for about three months. We had discussions. We did about 10 episodes before we started releasing them. And it was a really, we were trying to create um, like a Mr. Dress Up. Or what's the, what's the Canadian guy that used to crawl through the log? Oh, Fred Penner. Fred Penner. And create a space like those, or, you know, like a, a Mr. Rogers, where mm-hmm. you come into this world in this comfy where you feel safe. And that's part of our conversations, too. Like, a lot of what we're talking about is a lot of honesty and a lot of mental health things. Yeah. And we're trying to create a space that's comfortable for that and show that it's possible between two men. Yeah. Because, I mean, if, you, if the two of you talked about some of the things you talked about at a bar or a coffee mm-hmm. shop or a restaurant, you'd have some nosy nabob next to you chiming in and, and saying something probably inappropriate right and and um make either of you stop talking about whatever you were talking about mm. so when you do talk about these big topics as you do hmm. mental health especially i know amir's um talk very candid about his journey i can't even believe it it's fantastic yeah. like he's just fresh into therapy and he's willing to talk about like like you said like intimate conversations that he's having with his therapist yeah or you're so talking, brave you're talking about dating or attempting to date oh <laughs> Um, it, it, it feels like I'm eavesdropping on two guys who obviously know each other, who are friends, mm-hmm. uh, working out the, these things that happen in their lives. Um, I, I, I shouldn't suggest that talk is therapy, but, um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's no substitute obviously for getting help, but, um, the two of you, it feels like you're better for having talked to one another at that time or spent that time together. Are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a. I guess I don't know if you've ever been to therapy or no. had a had a connection with someone or like you've had definitely had a deep conversation with someone where you've you feel you know you've bonded, you've learned something, you've given something of yourself, all the good things that make a good conversation a connection. I relate it to therapy because that's how I feel when I come out of therapy. I feel better. I feel uplifted. And then, and I definitely, definitely we get, when we talk about the things we do, I like, I even could try to connect with the mirror in the episode and be like, you know, I'm trying not to put your emotions on a pedestal mm-hmm. and just keep it down here on the regular. So I hope to do that. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. I've never been to therapy and, and yeah. I'm fascinated listening to him as he, he's, cause I guess this is the first time he's done this it. This is right? his first time. Yeah. And I've been yeah. th- for most of my life. Yeah. For yeah. My adult life. And so I'm, I'm, Thinking well, first of all, I, I think I'd, I'd be wasting the therapist's time. <laughs> no, no, you wouldn't. Therapy love the therapists love us. They love listening to us and examining us. And, and then I'd have to think of, of, and if I didn't have anything to work out, I'd have to make up things to work out. Oh, trust know? me, Joe, you got something to work out, brother. We all do. <laughs> um, you're both you and Amir, you especially are examples of people who have de- demonstrated over the years just how relevant radio is 
in this case, you're not on the radio, but you're doing podcasting. And I consider mm. them one and the same. They're not necessarily the same thing, but I think they're very complementary. Absolutely. One yeah, one is, yes, they are mutually exclusive, but one could substitute the other. Mm. Yeah, I believe, for sure. Because that, even though it's not that live, you can do it the live to tape way, mm -hmm. which is live to me, which is good enough, which creates that. And that's a connection you're looking for. And you have found in, in various professional pursuits hmm. that people are listening to podcasts a great deal in this time, right? The last mm -hmm. 10 years or more. Mm -hmm. um, the, the it's, it's, it seems to be just trending up. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I did a little stint in, after I left radio, I was a VP of a pretty prominent podcast company. We did like the FBI and Walmart and yeah, all the statistics from sales and even in the worlds that we were living in, we did a lot of policing podcasts, actually. Mm. Um, that, um, Toronto Police Services, we did their podcasts. I hosted the York Regional Police Service podcast, which was weird. But, um, yeah, it's it's absolutely blowing up. And in spaces you wouldn't think of, like, again, to reference police, they're finding it such a valuable tool to communicate with the attitudes that police people have towards police mm -hmm. now. It's giving them an opportunity to say, hey, this is why we do this. Here's someone to talk about it and really provide those sorts of platforms. And again, yeah, in places that you wouldn't expect it, in the corporate world especially. Like I did podcasts for OMERS, the Ontario Municipal Pension mm -hmm. Program, yeah. which is like, what? Yeah. And yeah, and we did it, and they found it very valuable for their brand and things like that. So yeah, it's absolutely increasing year over year. Yeah. And, and, oh, sorry, really yeah. quick, the amount that Spotify l this year or last year put into their video podcast platform, I don't want to say billions, but yeah. it was a lot of money, yeah. a lot of money. So, yeah. So what do you think that says uh, about the future of radio, though? Because you've you talked about missing radio. Uh, if it does, if podcasting does replace radio, um, because I, I still think in this market especially, radio still plays a part, whether it's your old station or, or the, the public broadcaster, certainly, yeah. um, the, the other private uh, news outlet. I think people do. I mean, drive time, I think that's what people listen to, right? Vancouver is a radio town, straight up. And it's very unique in its listening habits, but absolutely, especially Vancouver, yes. And I, I see, funny you mention this, um, I forget who it was. It, it was a local radio guy who tweeted out, I can't believe radio isn't using podcasts more on their platform or yeah. same thing. And then we got into this conversation of what I believe it could be is an integration of the two almost like, so we have the, so if I could explain this, so you have the, the jocks on an FM playing music and then they come in for their 45 second break. Then they play more music. In my mind, you could do a live podcast where you're doing the podcast live to an internet stream and then while you're doing that you take a break from that podcast to actually go to live on the radio mm. and do a break on the radio and make it in no you're not trying to hide it you're like yeah. oh got to do it to the radio let's pay some bills and then you you could have integration like that somehow or yeah. running podcast specific content like with our podcasts we really wanted to get into stories the impetus of this was i want to get stories from the media and I want to kind of have an archive of great characters because, I mean, come on, we have some legendary broadcasters in this city with so many stories that we just don't know about that they're happy to tell. Yeah. Like I often tell the story of Jill Bennett called me Carl for the first six months <laughs> we worked together. Yeah. And it's just a funny, fun story. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of that. And so if we can think of ways to 
integrate podcasting and make it more radio-friendly, what it already is, as we've described, but yeah. there's just some tweaks, I think that's where we can live. And I think there's a place for radio, and I think there always will be because of the the emergency immediacy yeah. of radio. Like, you know, when the power goes out, radio's on, Turn man. Radio you can on. wind, everybody's, well, not everybody, but a lot of people have wind-up radios. You don't even need power. Well, you, it's, you just wind it up and it works. Yeah. So it's, I think it'll always be there in some sense, but I really think there is room to elevate it and bring it with podcasting in some sort of way. Yeah. So I, we talked about Eric's living room. That's mm -hmm. you and Amir. Yeah. Now, you're also working on another venture where, where you do talk to people. You're sharing these stories that you've collected over the years for yeah. your own and other people's experience. Yeah, that's going to be part. Yeah. So it's going to, we're going to take, we're just going to call it story time. And mm -hmm. the, the newest episode we're going to upload, it's going to, I interviewed George Garrett and he shares some stories. And I'm going to put, I'm going to do a soundscape with them. And it's his voice, and sometimes we'll use actors yeah. to replace his stories. Because sometimes there's anonymity, and not because we're talking bad about people. It's sure. just some people don't want to be known. Yeah. And so we'll get voice actors to come in and produce it. And it'll just be like five-minute breaks in my podcast. Because we're trying to do, th like, we're trying to create that space. And we're also trying, we've done it a couple times, as you might have noticed, where we did the makeup bit. Yeah, or you went um, to King's Gate. Yeah, Hall. we're trying to, yeah. like, do, we're trying to add a little bit of, like, one minute to two-minute sort of rants or extra added value stuff. And that's just part of that. So we're trying to keep them tight, like five minutes at the most, mm -hmm. and we're just going to plop them in mid in between topics during the top podcast somewhere for the so episode. The first time I encountered you in this market was you were operating the board at CKNW. Oh, for who? I think it was probably for Eckford. Okay. I remember seeing Drex, I guess, had posted a video of because uh, he was filling in for Eckford at one point. Okay. And... Um, you showed up in the video because he came to yeah. tell you in the video that he was filling in for Eckford. Yeah. Um, the, the transition, though, from being off the air to on the air, was that something that you always wanted to do? I didn't even know I wanted to do radio. Really? Like, I didn't know I was going to do radio. Um, <laughs> what did you think you were I doing was, when I you had a, I, Well, I had a music <laughs> career, believe it or yeah. not. I was signed to a major label, Raucous uh -huh. Records, in 2007, uh -huh. we charted number two in North America. Like I had, like we had a, my foot in the door, and then some things happened. And my producer, he literally just came to me one day. He's like, "Okay, I'm going to move to Vancouver, and there's an engineering school, and that engineering school has a broadcast course. You should take it." And I was like, "Uh huh." And then I was like, "Well, I did some radio interviews. I've always, I've like growing up, I grew up on radio CKUA." Yeah. I don't know if you know it in Alberta, but it's uh, the co-op radio. It's yeah. legendary. It's heard throughout the province. I listened to 630 Chad. Like, I even grew up on Linda Steele, who I ended up working with. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, cool. I had a fiancé. She packed up, went to university, UUBC, and I went to broadcast school. And, yeah, um, about two years into that, I was like, oh, I want to do radio, and I want to be on the radio, and I want to – I got a lot to, I got a yeah. lot of opinion. And so, yeah, I got um, – my first experience on air was parking lot radio at Park Royal. So remember when they did the big renovations for the parking lot at Park Royal? Yeah. They hired, um, uh, rest in peace, um, Ian. Oh, no, I'm going to forget his last name. He always showed me so much love. Ian Power. Ah. He had started 96 point something for parking lot radio during the renovation. So what it was, it was an FM broadcast, no license for commercials, no license for music, just strictly voice broadcasts. So it was six-hour shifts where I had about 20 cameras in front of me, and I would guide people through the parking lot. 
So I'll be like, if you're in the yellow Corvette, take a ride and uh, into parking lot C. There's a stall by the Jugo Juice. Grab a Jugo Juice and uh, get your shopping done. Really? And that's what I did. Yeah. And that and it was during things like that that I was like, okay, I want to be on the radio. And so I did that for a few months, and then I convinced um, uh, Corey Price at Seafox to give me overnight shift. And that's when I really started to figure, okay, I want to do this. This yeah. is what I'm really going to focus on, being on air. And so um, did you find great support from the the, the then-on-air personalities in terms of helping bring 100%. you on? Oh, yeah. I, I owe everything to Dave Sheldon, Mike Eckford. Um, uh, Drex is a big part of letting me be me. Um, yeah, Dave Sheldon was the first guy to, like, grab me and be like, hey, come say something dumb with me on the radio. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. It was always a battle with management. Like, because it's so long ago and they're lovely people. So, Plasteris and Konings, Ian Koningsfest, Tom Plasteris, the program, they're always like, Eric, shut up. <laughs> Don't play rock music. Play the same old music we always play and shut up. And we did the exact opposite. I started playing rock music and then they started letting us play rock music. And then I started talking with Dave Moore. And then, yeah, it was a slow evolution of. And so, 100%, always, every host pretty much I worked with was always so supportive of me, yeah. And, and, the, and another reason, uh, another way, I should say, that I got to know you was through Twitter, because right. y y you cultivated, a per not a personality, but a persona. Yeah. In terms yeah. of uh, on Twitter and, and talking not only to, to me and other listeners. I mean, that certainly helps, I guess, build an audience, doesn't it? It does. There was a, a lot of connection through both. Like I would yeah. mention on the air or when I was on the radio about Twitter and vice versa. And so it brought like the cross-platform pollination sort of thing. And yeah, there's a lot of radio fans that are on, were on Twitter yeah. when in its heyday, when it was awesome before Elon just messed everything up. <laughs> oh, gosh. Cause, and yeah, I love the connections that I've made many connections with many media people off of just Twitter alone. Like I don't know Clay St. Thomas from A Hole in the Ground, yeah. but we talk on Twitter. Yeah, and I love that I know that guy because he's—he was such a great broadcaster. Yeah, I don't know if he still is. Yeah, I know he does voice work now, but yeah. he was on JR forever in the mornings. But yeah, yeah. Um, back to Eric's living room because mm -hmm. it's a fascinating space that you've created, you and you and Amir. Um, talking about race, as the two of you do, um, these are discussions that we should have more of, don't you think? Uh, yeah, not just in a, in a podcast like yours, no. but I think in other places, right? I think we need to have them with our friends more. Yeah, I think that, because uh, I find often in my experience, that's where the subtle, I don't like micro-racism, whatever they call it. I think that's sure. BS. Racism is racism. Let's just yeah. call it that. But microaggressions, they like to call yeah. them, and people just tend to pass those off. I think they happen the most amongst our friends. And we're like, oh, you know, that's Johnny. He says, he does that accent sometimes. We're yeah. just used to it. When it's like, should be like, no, hey, yo, Johnny. No, yeah. you can't do the old Asian man accent anymore, bro. You couldn't do it then, but you can't do it now either. Yeah. So yeah, it's I think it's important, and I think it's important, and especially as men, we don't have those conversations, as you probably well know. Yeah, exactly. It's tough amongst male friends to get crack those nuts. Yeah. Um. And what have you heard from listeners, though? I mean, I've told you what I thought. Um. Having listened, have you heard from from people so far? No, not about the podcast, no, but I, I was always my number one props when I was on the radio. It was one of, like, even when I lost my radio show, like when they gave me the national show and then I had my panic attack on the radio when I was being honest, and then two days later they took my national radio show away. It's like that, that really connected with a lot of people. And 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I told you this uh, privately, and I, I don't see why I can't share this now publicly. You, you've always worn your heart on the sleeve, and uh, whether you've talked about poverty mm. and and talked about um, homelessness and, and, you know, these personal experiences of yours, your, your panic attack that you just mentioned, mm. um, these really resonated with people. And so when you would hear back from people saying that, they understood what you were talking about. They went through it themselves, say, or they just appreciated you talking about it. What did that, did that help at all? Oh, it's the only thing that got me through. Yeah. Like I got some notes and stuff when I had the anxiety attack that was like, okay, I did what I wanted to do. Cause my point was when I did it, I wasn't giving advice. I was just, because I've had 30 panic attacks on the air. Nobody just, just management didn't know about it. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing too. Like, they're constantly happening. It's just you don't know because you always hide it. It's just this time I was able to share it. Yeah. And so I forget what was the question there. I lost my train. Well, did, when you hear, hear back from people, they, right. they really liked you saying the things that you've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what does that do for yeah. what you want to do, say, in the future and have more conversations about mental health? It is about a driving force. finances even. Yeah, it's a driving force, absolutely. And I see, again, with the conversation we had about what radio could be, or even, like, just let's get down to broadcast as a whole and include everything, TV, podcast. Like, like a, everybody's got a podcast. Everybody's got a TV show. Okay, so what's nobody doing? Nobody's talking about their mental health still. Bell has their let's talk, then fires people the next day. You know, it's <laughs> like no one's really having the talk. And the thing about when they have the talk is every they put it on a pedestal. It's like, instead of, hey, Joe, how you doing? You know, and you're, yeah. you're like, I'm feeling down. It's like... Hey, Joe, how are you today? Because yeah. I find this quite often I'm, because I'm so honest. I guess I could say it's a blessing and it's a curse. And it drives me, but it's also quite, quite a pain in my butt. And, and, and it's a driving force because I know what it's like to be down. And when I hear other people say they're depressed, I'm like, oh, thank God you're here. Thank God mm. you feel that too. I felt so alone. And so that's part of it. Yeah. But the other part of it is like, The, I guess the lessons for me too, like there's, I don't know, there's just a lot that I think there's so much value in it and it's just not talked about. And so we just have to do it more. Yeah. I'm going to turn this into AA meeting. Let's where, go. Where, where yeah, I just tell you my experiences. Yeah. Um, hearing you talk about certain things you've talked about over the years has gotten me thinking about how I carry myself in, in the world. You know, if I see somebody having a bad day or they're acting like a jerk or an asshole to someone else, it's because something else has happened. It's not because that's their countenance or that's their personality. And I have to learn to be, um, patience the right word, but I, I do understand why people do things and, and what perhaps motivates them to do things a little bit more. Mm. So if someone is being right perspective, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and if you see someone on the street, not having a good day or someone who lives on the street, if you will, yeah. that that's not a moral failure at all. No. And, or that's not a, a series of bad choices they made. Yeah. And then it's, it's, it's the system itself. It's society itself. Yeah. That's probably landed them where they are. Mm -hmm. And you then think about, well, what's my responsibility as a member of society, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think far too many people don't think like that. Yeah, and you know, it goes back to the point I was just trying to make that crossed my mind. It was, it was the curse side of, of being so honest in, in, the, in, the, in the, 
the parallel, the, the yin and yang, is that because when I'm so honest and people don't have the, and this is not a diss, and I've talked about this before, we just don't have the emotional maturity. And it's not a diss. It's just like I'm racist. I don't mean to be. It's because I'm a part of a system, and so I fight against that. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm honest about my feelings, oftentimes the reaction is, are you okay? What's wrong? What's wrong? Or, what what are, happened, are you, Eric? Yeah, what's wrong? Are you, what, did, did, did something happen? Do you need help? Do, can yeah. I support you in some way? When it should be just like, like you know, dang. Yeah. You know? And so that's the, the curse of it. And so I'm constantly defending, defending the honesty. And again, like it lost me my national radio show. So there's a lot of downsides, and it. it's a curse in that way. But it just feeds you in so many ways. And it's just so much, not only for the success of broadcasting and radio, but just to success in a human race, man. Yeah. Like we got to start having those talks. Yeah, yeah and I think you, you, you're somebody who, I'm sure you'd like to have success in, in whatever professional sure. endeavor you had. Sure, But I think success with, with yourself, I think, is probably, and it should be for everybody, that should be the priority, right? Yeah, and it's becoming more that. Yeah, as I, you know, tried my do my own independent thing. Yeah, launching into this, it's like you know, it's it's all encompassing. You know, it's yeah. part of it. You're stepping out, you're doing it, you're taking that chance, and it's all sort of similar. It's a similar sort of thing. So uh, lessons have helped, but it's never easy. That's for sure. And I am neurodivergent as well, so I am dyslexic, and so that does dyslexic people are well known for not having fears, and often we connect through oversharing so sometimes i am guilty and it's something that i work on with my mental health i just like vomit my life onto people it's like i've been through this i've been homeless I blah 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 and then they're just like Ugh. but and part of that is my dyslexia which yeah. again is a curse and a gift at the same time because it helps me be so open and free and just not care and just share because and, sharing is so important and what you've been able to do with all of the gifts that you have is is you're able to look at the world a little bit differently, perhaps, than the rest of us, mm. and allow us to look at the world as we should. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do with the, even the topics and the conversation that we have on the podcast. Is like we'll mention how Ken Sim has no swagger, <laughs> and he's trying to inject it, and he's like a wet paper bag. But we're not. That's not our conversation. It's just part of it. Yeah, the conversation is. You know, it, it involves current events and pop culture, but it's never the conversation. The conversation is what you're going to try and always make it, you know, like when it comes to war. We're talking about war right now with Israel, Gaza. Well, we're we're going we're gonna to reference that in the way we're going to talk about religion mm -hmm. and its role in, in war because it has a big one. Yeah. And it's a conversation that nobody's having. And it's a really important one that I think we just need to keep in mind that some people, when you talk to them, they're religious dogma is everything they are and i'm not crapping on it i'm just saying we got to be aware of it because that's how we need to talk to those people and yeah. so involving that in the conversation so that's how we're going to try and approach things when we have the conversations yeah i i've asked this question of people that i've talked to over the years because i'm always fascinated by the answers that i'll get and i'm curious to know what your answer is what's kept you in Vancouver? Because you you have had the chance to say move elsewhere. It's it's a pretty crappy place to live for a lot of people. It's 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 bloody expensive, and we all have all the the issues that we have with living in this town. Yeah. Um, what's kept you here all these years? And you don't seem like somebody who'd, who'd up and moves anytime soon. No, I'm not. If I can, I'm not going anywhere ever. Yeah. Um, part of it is. Traditionally in radio and broadcast, 
before you even crack a mic, you have to go to like Chetwin. You got to go to the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I was able to break in, host a number one overnight talk show and take that number one overnight talk show that Drex had and have meetings with chorus VPs telling me how I was breaking those records in ratings. And so I'm super proud that I was able to do that here mm-hmm. and have the success I've had. And so that's part of it. And the other big part of it is um, Oma, my grandma, um, who passed away from COVID. So don't dump in my emails with your anti-COVID, anti-vax stuff. <laughs> um, she, when she, she went through her war stuff, and she came here when she was 18. And when she first moved here, she landed in Montreal, and she hated it. She had 10 bucks in her Bible, which I still have. And that's all she had. And she saw this flyer for Vancouver. And she's like, I want to go to Vancouver. And so she came to Vancouver. And that's where she was like, yeah. I can breathe. I can be myself. She was a hairdresser. So she started to do her hairdresser thing. And then she met my opa out here, out west in the interior. And there was family connections back home. And so that's, my heart's always been in Vancouver. And then even when I had my small-time music career success, like Vancouver, come on, it's Vancouver. Yeah. You got like a rap legends here, mocha only. All these people that you want to be like big moves, DJ Moves, who did the, if nobody knows, the Steal My Sunshine. If you steal my sunshine, that beat by the group Len was produced by DJ Moves, who's from out east, yeah. but he's a Vancouver hip-hop legend as a DJ, and he's produced many, many tracks for many, many people. But yeah, and so there's that. So those are, I guess, the three things that are key yeah. here. And I, lo- I love this town, man, yeah. because it's such a small town, but it's not. Yeah. And it's like, you got the the little ornery corners of like angry old white people and then you know you got this over here and it's just like i just love this town man there's just something about it that keeps me here and draws me characters like you or aaron chapman like there's there's a person for every community and a legend amongst them which is really cool for me and you're not related to aaron chapman right not at all no i'm sure you get that a lot yes i always get that yes yeah no 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 relation or tracy chapman either um but that that's the thing i've lived here my whole life and i still don't feel like I understand what this place is about. Yeah. There are places in the city that I've, I've been to a lot of places in the city, but there are places that I still don't know. Yeah. And I think that's what's kept me here in a way. Yeah. Um, this lifelong journey of trying to figure out what the hell this place is. Yeah. I, and that's part of the draw. Yeah. That's it for me too. There's so much. And like I said, what is it? Seven, maybe 700,000 people now in proper Vancouver. Something like that. Yeah. And like, I've been here for 15 years now, and I'm an explorer. Like, I love that. Like I say, I'm out all the time on my bike, and I'm still finding new stuff. Yeah. I'm still finding little holes in the wall and little communities and little things like that. And, yeah, and even, like you said, you get it into the, the layers of the community, and it's this whole other thing that's going on. And you're like, this exists? How does this even mesh? Yeah. And then you find this new hole of, you know, people that are just weird, too. There's lots of weirdos here, which I like. And it, uh, whenever I find out that someone, uh, when, when I'm interviewing someone and they used to live in Vancouver, I always ask them where they lived, what neighborhood. Okay. Um, because I think wherever one lives, we think that's the best neighborhood right. in Vancouver. I'm sure you're, you feel that way, but where you well, live, right? Actually, no, I do not feel that way. I live in, <laughs> I live in West Point Grey right now, which is great because I got, it's just an old ass and it's an old Vancouver house that even smells. You know when you go in those old houses sure. and they smell? Yeah. Rent's great. And it's right off the B line, so I live in West Point, great. Excuse me, but I am a East fan. Yeah, all day. I lived in, 
I lived on 10th and commercial. I lived on Nanaimo where it turns into McGill right on the corner there. I lived lots of time in East Van, but I have lived all over. I also lived on Hemlock, but I do. I, I'm an East Van guy. I love East Van. So when you say you're, you live in West Point Grade, do people automatically assume you've got money? Oh yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> oh, it's just funny too because I work in broadcasting. It's a great laugh. Yeah, yeah. If you knew my rent, you would not think I was rich. And you saw the house I lived in. Yeah, no, no, it's too funny. I get asked all the time why I don't work in the media business. Why don't you? And I tell people it's a terrible business. Yeah, yeah and so what? Um, and year after year, uh, Columbia Academy is not around anymore, but, but BCIT certainly graduates um, people who are, I would say, deluded to think that there are jobs for them, and you know, mm-hmm. um, yet the business still continues the way it does, both as a, an economic model, but as you say, you know, in terms of toxicity. Um, and I'm glad I never. Because I thought when I started this 19, 20 years ago that I'd parlay that into to, um, It seems career. a natural progression, yeah. But, but I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> yeah, because I don't think I would have enjoyed it. Yeah, no, you wouldn't have. There's a time in probably a lot of journalists' life where they're like, and where where I've learned recently the, uh, the incredible amount of black journalists, both midway through their career, mm-hmm. are just quitting because they just can't take it. I tend to think racism, not only that, but the industry itself. It's just so, it's very toxic. It's very difficult to navigate, and it's very small. And so, there's yeah, there's there's a lot to be said about it. That's for sure. And so it's you, a sad thing. You've started saying things about it on Twitter, and I'm yep. assuming that in in future podcasts you'll be doing more of this and telling us about what happened. Yeah, I will. I will. I will be sharing my story more often, as I'm still really scared to share it. I don't. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know because there's a lot of people I'm going to talk about. Like even in my tweet, I named Doug Murphy, who's the CEO of Chorus Entertainment. Like mm-hmm. that's a big deal. And I mentioned with the tweet we're talking about is where I mentioned how I, why I left Chorus, which was because it was around a, felt like three years, but it was probably a year and a half battle of um, racism and bullying. And they gave me a radio show. I had an uh, anxiety attack. Two days later, they took my radio show away, and then I fought forever to try and get it back, and they told me I wasn't talented enough to have a radio show. And so, yeah, I just could. I was exhausted. Um, I couldn't, you know, a lot of the complex us white men have is we're going to be the white savior and try and end all this BS that happens in things, and I got caught up in that a little, I'll admit it, which is a BS thing. And I was like, maybe I can change it, maybe I can do it. And I was like, I want, and because of my love for it, and I'm very much of like, if you tell me to do something or tell me I can't do something, I'm going to try and do sure. that. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was a long, it was stressful and I just couldn't take it. And so I just left and I didn't take severance because they wanted me to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And I was like, no, I'd rather share my story. And so I've shared the story of racism with the Canadian Association of Black Journalists. Mm-hmm. So they're very aware. And uh, I don't, I can't share too much of the details of the stories. I will eventually over time, but it's just the anonymity. Yeah. The people involved are like, please don't get me involved. I, I left this. I cannot be involved. And so for that reason, if I go even a little bit into stories, you'll find out who it is very easily. Yeah. So until I have conversations and I'm not bringing it up to them, they can come to me if they ever do. And when they do, I hope they do, um, I'll start sharing more. But I want to share that part of it because the amount of, DMs I got from people in the media business being like, thank you, Yeah, was, <clears throat> the amount was more than I expected. 
and it was a lot of people that you know people that within the last couple of weeks some stuff happened at some media companies that was real shady yeah and they reached out and they're like i'm glad i'm glad you're doing it because everybody like even me i just said i'm scared to do it like i'm even scared talking about it now because you know who knows yeah. what's gonna do what's gonna happen or who's gonna say what and i gotta and the biggest fear is reliving the hell because i went through i was going through a mental health breakdown mm -hmm. because i had my panic attack they took my radio show away that put me over the edge and that didn't you know there was many other things and then i took three like john mccomb who took six months off for mental health i took three months off mm -hmm. and then when i came back during that three months um people reached out to me and complained of a bully and so when i returned that's when everything started and and so I guess if we want to know more, we'll just have to stay tuned to yeah, the podcast. Yeah, living room. You and, betcha, yeah. and it'll be there. Yeah. I guess it is, there's not a website for it, but if you look up Eric's – I did last night. I looked up Eric's Living Room on YouTube and um, uh, on your Twitter, obviously, which yeah. you learn how to pronounce. Yeah, Chip. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. No, Chip. Chappy EP or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. But, yeah, and we're going to be mostly – I don't know. Like I said, I'm so. Who knows where social media is? So a lot of our social media is just going to be on Instagram, right? And anywhere we will be or are, it's just Eric's living room. We're Eric's living room on YouTube. Eric's living room on um, Instagram, and that's kind of our where we are. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. But as for social media platforms, that's it. Well, I, I appreciate you coming in to to do this. It's yeah. nice to see you again. Yeah. And I'll look forward to more episodes. I can't. I really can't. I mean, I binged four last night. Did you really? Yeah. Are and you I, lying? Like no, I'm not. I, okay. Yeah. Because I don't take compliments well, so it's very <laughs> embarrassing for me. But I'm glad. I'm really glad. And you're, I, you're describing what we were trying to create as well, which makes me happy. And I enjoyed it, and I can't wait for more. So all the best, and, and give my best to Amir, too, while you're at it. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I'll make fun of him for you. <laughs> Eric Chapman joined me in person here in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.